listening to First Church Charlotte. It is beautiful, misty winter Wednesday evening, and I thank you all for uh, resisting the urge to sit cozily in your favorite chair and feel sorry for yourself, but instead you arose like Lazarus and came out of that tomb, and now we're here to get the bedclothes off of you or whatever. Hopefully you didn't wear bedclothes to church. That would not be ideal, but it's so great to see you all. Uh, have I told you lately I love you? If you'd like me to sing some country western for you, I will, but uh, probably better not. I think my wife said, please don't. Yes, okay. Oh, you did said please do? Oh, honey, I'm totally going to kiss you after church. It's going to be awesome. So we are in Matthew chapter number eight. If you would like to meet me there in the scripture, uh, Matthew chapter number eight, and we are moving through the gospel of Mark. I have been studying this. And I've been through it multiple times now, and I must confess to you, it does not get less rich with reading, but it gets more rich with reading. And so we are, we are at the end of chapter number eight, and we will read at verse number 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, go to chapter number 9 and verse number 1. Jesus says, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of heaven present with power. And notice what happens at verse number 2. Verse number two is the story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the mountain. So we have gone from ashamed to the manifestation of the deity of Jesus Christ in glory on the mountaintop. And so for a little while, I'm going to teach uh, shame and majesty. Shame and majesty. Before you're seated, touch your neighbor, say you should listen especially good. I can tell you've not been doing good this week. <laughs> Amen. We're in the holiday season and we have noticed uh, that Christians have all the best holidays. Have you noticed this? All the best holidays are Christian holidays. I know you say, well, that's because, you know, uh, it's a Christian society. Okay, I still uh, make my point. We have all the best holidays. We have Thanksgiving. I know that's national, but we Christians take it. We have Christmas. We have Easter. In fact, one time there was an atheist who was complaining about this, and he said, Christians have all the best holidays. I, I wish we had something. And the believer said, hey, why don't you celebrate April 1st? <laughs> you know, I was going to wear a jacket tonight to hide my gut, uh, but it's hot. And so the gut's coming out. That's all I got to say about that. Um, I just have to thank you, brother. Thank you kindly. All right, let's get started. 
I love the word of the Lord. I love teaching the word of the Lord. It's the best part of my week right now. So prepare for me to enjoy myself. Hopefully you will enjoy also, but really you're secondary. As long as I enjoy the Bible study, that's all that really matters. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, we, we're looking in this passage here of what happens in Mark chapter number 8, and there's such compression. Somebody say compression. Compression is where a lot of things are happening just kind of all cheek by jowl. It's pushed together. It's stacked together. Um, lots of things are happening together. Now, I want to remind you, this is uh, being told to John Mark by Peter. P Peter's telling John. John Mark, his story. John Mark was a teenager when all this happened. Um, he is hearing Peter's story, and he's writing it down and giving us Peter's story. Now, Peter has spent many years thinking about how to tell this story. If you have a very important witness statement to give, then you want to tell it in the way that the truth of it will be conveyed. Peter is not rushing this story. This is not just random over for coffee. Peter, in the process of years of ministry, has thought about this story. He has remembered it. He has decided how he will tell the story of his testimony. Interestingly, he has told it undoubtedly many, many times. Why, why would I say that? Well, first of all, he has spent, um, I think, nearly two decades uh, traveling and teaching every day, practically every day of his life. During the week, he would have gone from house meeting to house meeting. Uh, that was how church happened during the week. And then on weekends, the Christians would find a public venue, normally uh, a temple of some sort. And there on Sunday, when the temple was not being used, remember it's being used on Saturday, um, they would have a meeting in a public forum. So they normally would meet on weekends. They would meet in a Roman forum of some type or a uh, a, a forum of the the faith of the Jews, and they would use the public spaces, and you can read this in the book of Acts, uh, and they would have a public meeting, very similar to what we try to do. We try to have smaller meetings through the week, and then we come together for a corporate meeting uh, on, on the weekend. So Peter, probably every day of his life, has in some way been sharing the teaching of Jesus Christ with other people, small groups, large groups happy groups, angry groups. He has been telling these stories. He did not preach in the manner necessarily we would today where he says, you know, dearly beloved, turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Joshua. And here in page number seven, we are going to read what Joshua said. That's, that's, they told the story of Jesus. This is very important to understand in the New Testament church. They told the story of Jesus. Peter is not educated in the manner of Paul. Peter is not a scholar of Hebrew texts in the manner of Paul. He is very much a blue-collar worker who, through the anointing of God in his life, has risen to a level of being a communicator, shall we say. He has been lifted to a level of being an ambassador. He has become a preacher of the gospel. And so for him, it's not pro it, it, it would be probably a little bit uh, odd of him to try to wade off into the deep understandings of Old Testament uh, law and theology. You will notice in his writings, in his epistles, he doesn't do that. But what does, what, that's what Paul does. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews does. That's what, uh, to a lesser degree, John does. Uh, 
Peter is practical. He writes like James. James is another blue-collar worker, a carpenter like his, his half-brother, Jesus Christ. Uh, and they write practically. They write this and that and that and this. Paul's the one saying, look, if you don't understand the covenant of faith came before the covenant of law, if you will raise Mosaic law above Abrahamic covenant, he's the one breaking all that down. You guys with me? Okay, Peter is, is much more of a, a kind of a doer. He's an action guy. He, he's, he, he's not the reflective type. He is an action guy. And so he has thought for years how to tell this story, how, how not to do theology, although he does some theology, but how to tell the story as a witness. The genius of the Gospels is they don't tell you how or what to think. They simply give you a testimony and allow you to decide for yourself. And what you now, if you know anything about the art of persuasion, if you took any college, uh, courses in communication or if you went to any law school type forums where you are learning the art of, of changing people's minds, you can never take away from them the sense of their own right to decide. If you take that away from them, the first thing they will do, will do is re re reject you. You have to, lawyers are trained to say, you have have in your power the right to make a decision. They're making an appeal to the jury. So it is that the writers of the Gospels, they are not trying to tell you what to think. They are giving you a story, a testimony, a witness, and allowing you to decide what are you going to do with Jesus. Every one of us to this day, we decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Isn't that right? This moment of Peter telling the story. It's all compressing together. So, so several things happen here. This chapter begins with the feeding of the thousands. And then there's a miracle of a blind man. And then there is the great question of Peter's, uh, the, the, he, he has this moment of glory, shall we say. Jesus says, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter steps forward in boldness like an action figure. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's awesome. He's on top of the world. A, a few minutes later, it's hero to zero because when Jesus begins to tell them that the path for the kingdom of heaven leads through Calvary, the, the way, he's showing them the way to walk. When he begins to show them the way leads through the death of the self and the, the exaltation of the kingdom of God, when he begins to make clear what his work is going to be, all of a sudden there's problems. Peter steps forward and says, Lord, you know, this isn't for you. This is really a bad decision on your part. The Lord Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Lots of things are being pushed together. Three ideas here at the end of this book. The first idea, if you're going to come after him, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up a cross of your own. In other words, the only right Christianity is a Christianity of self-denial and missional cross-carrying. There is no other right kind of Christianity. That's the first idea. The second idea after that, that, that point of, of, of denying the self and following Christ is this, this, this thing of what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? And then the third idea is this. Whoever is ashamed of me I will be ashamed of him. Now, what just happened? What, 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 you ever, you ever in a group of people and someone say something, you just want to turn to them and say, you win the random award. 
I say that to my son on a regular basis. You, that, you win the random award. That just came out of nowhere. Okay, it's like, what do you mean ashamed of you? Stay with me. When Jesus had not defined his way, you could see in him whatever you wanted to see in him. You could see in him that he was a great teacher, and he was. You could see in him that he was a powerful healer, and he was. Can I have an amen? He still is. <laughs> you can see in him, if you're Judas, he is the one who's going to cast off the authority of Rome and break our fetters of enslavement and set us free. And that you can see that in him. If you're the mother of the sons of thunder, uh, <laughs> you can see that he is establishing a great religious uh, monarchy, so to speak, or at least a religious religious totalitarian state. And since he is going to rule it, she comes to Jesus and says, um, since you're setting up this awesome, awesome totalitarian state of religious belief, um, would you let my sons be your co-chairs? And he's like, you don't understand. Unless, as long as Jesus doesn't define what it means to be the Lamb of God, you can project on him whatever you want him to be. But the moment he says, I must suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and elders, and I must be scourged, and I must be stripped, and I must fulfill the prophetic tragedy of the book of Isaiah, and my back be striped, and it's this brow that's going to have thorns pressed in it. All your dreams of religious totalitarian control must go out the window because here's one who is not going to ascend in the manner you wish. The moment he points at Calvary and says, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. All of a sudden, your dreams of, of civil war against Rome must be laid down. You no longer get to use him for what you want him to be. This gets back to the important issue of Peter's insight. Whom do men say that I am. You see, even today, there is a contest in hearts and minds on who Jesus is. Almost everyone is willing to agree that he's a type of religious figure. You would have to be like, you know, uh, brain dead not to see that. Uh, everyone's comfortable saying he's the son of, uh, you know, he is in the Christian faith, the son of God. None of those answers matter because they are answers for others. The only answer that matters is the answer for for you. Who is Jesus Christ to you? And once you see he is the Lamb of God for sinners slain. Once you see, you no longer can project onto him what it's supposed to be. The thing about the thing about the 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 the, the whole Christian faith is that uh, you can define it uh, many many different ways, and it's not that each 
respective uh, emphasis is wrong. Let me give you some examples. Um, it's quite popular. Uh, it's quite po- popular to really emphasize a prosperity Jesus. Now, this is not entirely wrong. It is not. It is God's pleasure to bless the people that He loves, and it is God's pleasure. He desires good things for you. But when you say that is the beginning and the end, you have just missed Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Other people uh, can emphasize the civilizational influence of Jesus Christ, and you're not wrong when you do so. You can point out that the institutional level empathy and compassion of modern wealthy uh, democratic states is a direct result of the Christian ethos. Now, you can argue that all you want to, but uh, it's pretty well established that the first hospitals were established by Christians. It was nothing but military field hospitals before that. Christians were the first people to take in people with the plague. Other people just ran them out of town. Christians took them in and uh, took care of them. All this is history. I've taught it before. I don't have time tonight. Um, You can make that point and say, Jesus Christ, the ethics of Jesus Christ, the the self-sacrificial model became a a, a moral um, standard by which wealthy, successful, democratic, democratic, excuse me, democratic societies have used to rally around, particularly in the West, less so in the East, uh, you get the idea. You're, you're not wrong. But to say that's the beginning and the end is to miss who Jesus is. Jesus is showing us a way. He is showing us a way from the old way of the flesh to a new place of spiritual regeneration. Can I have an amen? And if we're going to be like him, we're going to walk in that way. So see what's happening here. Now, however, Jesus is not just a figure. He's not just a faith healer. He's the Lamb of God. He's headed to Calvary. And all of a sudden, he brings up this issue of offense if you're ashamed of me. You know, it's easy for us to like certain parts of Christianity. But when sacrifice comes up, that's not the part we like. Ooh, it's quiet. I think I got a little muttering amen over here. Maybe Chad was helping me out back there. I didn't hear anything from the carnal section over here. Just kidding, just kidding. I love all you suckers over here. (laughs) So, um, it's all of a sudden, Jesus deals. You know, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, he does not say, hey guys, (laughs) if you're ashamed of me. Nobody's ashamed on free food Sunday. Do you see what's happening here? When he's raising the dead, he's not like, arise, but by the way, if you guys are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Arise, my child. No. It is possible for even us followers of Jesus to like some parts of the work and be ashamed of other parts of the work. We don't just get to enjoy free food Sunday, do you see? We don't just get to enjoy the miraculous. We don't just get to enjoy it when Jesus is being chased by the crowds and they're all crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. No, you have to understand at the center of this thing is a cross. It is a way. You have your way. You have that which you can do. You have a choice of life philosophy to live by. And if you're going to follow this way, you're going to have to involve the self 
self-discipline and self-denial appropriate to this way, and you're going to have to find your cross. Cross is mission. Cross is not purposeless suffering. Do, do you hear what I just said? Cross is mission. It's not purposeless. Jesus wasn't excited about the cross. The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Cross is, the, your cross is your missional purpose. It's the gifts that God has given you, invested in you, that you then bring and give back to him. And this is the area when he talks about this idea, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Now, I will confess to you, I've read this passage many times. I've never seen it this way before. Uh, I read it earlier this week, and I prayed, Lord, help me to see. I, I, do, this every, I do this every week. Uh, I read the text, and then I pray, God, open my, help me see. I got to see something. There's, there's, there's layers here, and I don't want to just, you know, be satisfied with other people's thinking. I think too much of my life, I've been, I was satisfied with other people's thinking. What, 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 what's going on here? And I, so I'm thinking about it, and what's amazing to me, what struck me for the first time, Probably should have saw this when I was 20, but I didn't. Uh, for the first time, I noticed that right after this issue of Calvary, this issue of Peter not wanting this to be the work of the kingdom, what if someone called you to a church event? You've got to come. It's part of your mission. It's part of your duty. You show up, and they ask you to do something you didn't want to do. <laughs> That's called growing up in a small church. <laughs> You think I'm kidding. You know, you think I'm kidding. I used to hate when my dad would ask for people to do outreach because my mom would always raise her hand. And that meant I had to go with her. I was like, Mom, can't those people just be lost? I mean, what, do we really have to? And I drug my feet all over East Charlotte. I wouldn't come to church either if I was you. They'll make you do outreach. I'm just cutting up. I was a kid. Um, so, imagine you get to be in the kingdom of God, but oh, by the way, right in the middle of it is self-sacrifice and a cross. Oh, I'm excited, I'm excited. I said, huh, well, God bless y'all. <laughs> y'all have a good time. Um, I'll never forget being at a conference one time. And it started sleeting during the conference. I was at this conference, and I was so tired. I, I don't remember why I was tired, but I was so tired. I wasn't getting anything out of the church service. I was just sitting there feeling sorry for myself. Y'all would never do this, because y'all are spiritual. But, you know, I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God. And it starts sleeting. And someone's up there, and they're saying, my goodness, if it sleets, we'll just stay and pray all night long. And I was like, God, no. And I was sitting by my brother. My brother gets all big-eyed. He's like, oh, that would be awesome. Think how that would be. The first one ever we stay all night and pray because we're iced in. And I, 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 I tell you the honest truth before God. The first thing that went through my mind was just shoot me now. <laughs> I was so tired. I was so tired. I can't even remember why I was tired. I think we'd driven all that night before or something. Anyway. So, so, so you join the church, and you're all excited about it. I want to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part. I want to be a part of the Christian crowd. Uh, what, what's that? Let me tell you, the shame of the cross just runs right off us like water off a duck. But to them, it was real. 
the cross was a symbol of Roman oppression and capital punishment. You know what the Romans did with the rebels? You know what they did right before the, uh, uh, Jesus, the time of Jesus Christ? There had been an uprising in this part of Judea, and they took the uh, several thousand of the rebels, and they lined the roads of Judea with crosses. And so these kids, uh, I say kids, these disciples grew up with formative memories of dead, decaying carcasses on crosses as they walked from one village to the next. Oh, it just doesn't mean nothing to us, but to them it was not just the shame of capital punishment. It was the shame of Roman oppression. And God, you're going to humiliate us like this? You see, now is the moment where Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Okay, so now stay with me. All right, so let's say that these disciples had to decide, okay, now what? Uh, am I going to hang around here? Uh, what am I doing? Am I hanging around here? Well, first thing we're doing is we're getting us a computer at the church. And then we're putting the computer up on the screen. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, what are we doing? And they decide to stay. Somebody say they decided to stay. They, they came to peace with the death of themselves. Oh, it's possible to serve God your whole life and never come to peace with the death of the flesh. You find ways to relabel the flesh, recatalog the flesh, excuse the flesh, uh, justify the flesh, anything, but let it die. But let's say we get to that point. I didn't want my mission to look like this. I wanted it to look a little bit more like a grandiose, glorious thing, and instead it looks like I've got a cross in front of me. Jesus plainly said he's going to die, and he plainly told us we should take up our own cross. You see, to us, it's, it, it's symbolic. To them, it was literal. Do you see? Okay. Uh, I'm not super excited about this. Can you imagine their conversations when Jesus is sitting around? My God, what do you think about this? I don't know. This crazy thing I've ever heard. Have y'all seen anything like this in the Old Testament? Well, I never saw anything about crucifixion. I mean, yeah, there was, seems like something about, oh, there was a curse in the Old Testament. Remember, cursed is every man who hangeth upon a tree. This guy's destroying the Mosaic symbol. We're all going to be cursed? God, this is horrible. Are y'all leaving? I don't, I don't guess so. Ah, that's the moment. When you want to quit and you have to make a decision. Am I quitting? And you decide, no, I don't guess so. I guess I'm showing up again. <laughs> I'm not talking about church. If you quit church, you're crazy. That's on you. I'm talking about your mission. When you looked silly, when no one showed up. When it, you felt like a failure and you have to answer the question, am I quitting? I look like a great big bozo. Am I quitting? I don't guess so. What's next? After you decide you're not leaving. <laughs> After you decide you're not leaving. After you decide you're not leaving. Jesus says, hey guys, I'd like y'all to go with me on a little day trip. Where are we going? We're going to walk up to that mountain over there. 
Okay, let's go. There's not a lot of joking around. It's a heavy time. And they go up on top of that mountain, and there, in front of them, light begins to shine out of Jesus Christ. He becomes embodied light. They are filled with terror. They fall to the ground. Who is that standing beside Jesus? Is that Moses? Is that Abraham? Is that Elijah? What, what's going on? Look at them. They're talking. Now, what's happening now? Somebody say, majesty. This is what we all signed up for, right? Everybody signed up for the cool part of the play. You know, when I was growing up, we'd have church plays. I always wanted to be Jesus. They never saw fit to make me Jesus. I would always be like, well, one year I was Judas. I don't know what that said about their hope for my future. I always wanted to be Jesus. Jesus gets like, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I'm over here like craving, you know. We all want the cool parts right? This is what we signed up for. Glory, majesty, lights, cameras, action. Take three, glorious scene. Jesus of Nazareth, shooting. And the orchestra's playing. Better than that. And we love this. We love this. This is what we signed up for. You know when you get the glory? After you make up your mind about the shame. I'm almost done. Hear me. It's immediately after the disciples face the end of all their plans for Jesus. They accept the end of all their plans for what he means and who he is and what he's going to do for all of us and all of their dreams of casting off Rome and setting up the religious totalitarian state and being mighty and powerful. They've all come crashing down. And instead they're told we're going all to die. And they accept that if this is the path, it's not very exciting, but bless God, they're not quitting. Now comes majesty. This is what I want you to see. Majesty is on the other side of self-sacrifice. Glory is on the other side of missional commitment. The bright lights, the deity, the glory, it's on the other side of Calvary. And if we're not willing to take the cross of shame, then we will never join him on Mount Transfiguration. Because believe it or not, they are linked together and joined together. Without the cross, there is no transfiguration. Because without the cross, there is no victory over death, hell, and the grave.
Without the cross, there's no glorious resurrection. Without the cross, there is no tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power. Without the cross, there is no new body. There's no new creation in Christ Jesus. And so it is in our life. We can try to promote our way to the glorious, glorious elements of serving God, but all we're left with is the work of the flesh. We can try to enthuse our way to great, great things of God, but at the end of the day, it's all our enthusiasm and marketing efforts. Or we can get as deep as we can in the missional work of Jesus Christ and let him reveal his majesty and his glory in his time. So, let me say it this way. If you want to see the awesome manifestation of God's power in your life, you don't find it by seeking it. You find it by seeking the mission. You commit to the mission and the glory's a surprise. You see, we're here for a work, not to celebrate ourselves. We're here for a duty, not to show how we're better. We're here. It's all tied together. The manifestation of his glory and the transcendent majesty of that Mount Transfiguration. It's on the other side of the person who says, I don't know why he's so obsessed on this Calvary thing. Why can't he just let us start a philosophy school like the Greeks do? Or why can't we just be a political party like the Jesuit, like the, the zealots are? Why do we have to, why do we have to go die? And it's after you accept that, it's after you embrace the mission that you're taken to Mount Transfiguration, you see. And so, I would say this first to myself, and then I would say it indirectly to all of you. So I'm going to say it to me, and I'll, I'll allow you, and Meg, you can come, I'm going to allow you to say it to you, okay? So I'm talking to myself. All right, Nate. <laughs> if you want to see the glorious work of God, you don't find it by nagging God. Show us something cool. Show us something cool. Show us something cool. We've already seen those. In fact, in chapter number 8, the Pharisees are asking that very thing. Impress us. Show us something cool. Show us transfiguration. Show us manna from heaven. Show us spinning 18-wheelers in the sky. We'll take anything. We're just gluttons for the entertainment factor. Show us something cool. You don't get to the glorious things of God, I say to myself, by nagging God for it. You get there by invitation <laughs> after you embrace your mission. And you say, I will give my life to follow in the path of this one, this Jesus of Nazareth. And I embrace that, that sacrificial mode of living. I, I embrace it. I try, to, I try to apply myself to it. And then comes the glory. So, shame is what makes us walk away from God. I don't mean in like a leave in church. I mean just 
you know, embarrassed a little bit. Majesty is what we all desire. But Peter puts them right beside each other and said, accept the hard truth. Oh, you accepted it? By the way, would you like to go to Mount Transfiguration? Let's all stand. So I had four pages of notes and I didn't use any of them. So let me go back through them real quick and see if there's anything that I just can't live without sharing with you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we pray today that all of us would understand the weight involved in taking up our own missional crosses and doing the work that is before us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these people who are here tonight. I thank you. I, I haven't given them a sweet story time gospel here tonight. I haven't allowed them to simply think it's all about them and their wishes. But Lord Jesus, I've tried to show this moment in the scripture accurately and fairly. Help all of us to see, I pray, that the challenge of the work, the, the sacrifice, the offense of the cross, that's just one side of the work. On the other side is the glory and the majesty. On the other side is the, the mighty and the beautiful. And I pray you would draw us all past that point of questioning to where we're absolutely committed. We're absolutely committed. We are neck deep in the mission. We are committed to that. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Just take a moment right now and just lift your hands or close your eyes or whatever's comfortable with you. And just reflect in the presence of the Lord on what he would have you to do, what he would have you to think, what he would have you to, to commit to. What it's not 8.30 yet. Why don't you step out of the seat you're standing in? Let's let's come gather around the front here for a moment. Let's just well, I just want us to take a moment, maybe pray together a little bit, and just as a church body. I I did good on my time tonight, so we have a couple minutes here. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Mm. Mm. I give myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away I give myself away so Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. 
We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.